This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, sleepwalking into episode number eight. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hi, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com, and we are here today with episode number eight of the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. Today, I'm going to do a little bit of a different episode uh, because I just had my baby boy, Corwin, and I was trying to think of a really good topic for this episode when I have a week and a half old baby in my arms, and you'll probably hear him some grunting and squeaking because he is in my arms actually in a baby carrier uh, a sleepy wrap carrier which is my favorite carrier for little ones so he's in the sleepy wrap while we're here bouncing on the birth ball and I'm hopefully going to get this episode recorded without him making too much noise but as I was trying to think of a a good topic for today I was thinking back over Corwin's birth and I thought that I might just share his birth story, and I had a really great pregnancy and birth experience with him, and so I thought I would share his birth story as well as some reflections on why I think pregnancy and birth went well with him so that that will help you as you prepare for your own baby. So first, I'm going to read Corwin's birth story, and I'm just going to read it from from the written account of it that I made. And I'll also link to the written account, which has some pictures if you want to see those. And then I'll share some reasons why I feel like Corwin's birth went so well and why I had such a great pregnancy with him. Corwin Jacob's birth. I prepared for Corwin's birth on so many levels, but one thing I felt powerfully compelled to do before and throughout my pregnancy with him was pray. So first, to the Lord goes the glory for his conception, my healthy pregnancy, his beautiful birth, and overall exquisite creation. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord, as long as he liveth he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. 1 Samuel 1, 27-28 I prayed fervently before Corwin was conceived that the Lord would bless us with another baby, and it was with great joy that I held the positive pregnancy test. I had a wonderful pregnancy and was blessed with five pregnancies worth of wisdom to carry me through this one, but I still found myself anxious and emotional in the week leading up to his birth. I reread a favorite birth story over and over, trying to focus on its message of being grateful and of not sweating the little things. I spent one day in tears of overwhelm a couple days before his birth, but maybe it was a good release. As with honor, I had a couple weeks worth of evenings where my Braxton Hicks got fairly regular, then puttered away through the night. I wasn't sure how things were going to get started. With honor, I thought things were finally getting started, and about five hours later I had a baby, so I was nervous this time around. The weather had been pretty bad with lots of ice and snow. I decided not to go into town for my prenatal appointment on Tuesday, but felt confident the baby was in a great position and it was just a matter of waiting. The beginning. Wednesday night, things got regular as usual, 
but felt like they were puttering out when we went to bed. We'd been going to bed early, and tonight was the same. I'm very glad we did. I woke up around 2.30 a.m. after having a really weird dream. I stumbled to the bathroom, and while sitting there, I had the thought that the Braxton Hicks that I was having was pretty strong and lasting a pretty long time. I prepared for Corwin's birth with my own childbirth course, as well as hypnobabies and pink kid information. When I got back into bed, I immediately turned my light switch to off, as I'd learned in hypnobabies. I relaxed deeply and just lay there, feeling the tightening of my belly and wondering if I'd drift back off to sleep. I didn't. Things seemed to be pretty strong, and I started to debate with myself if I should get Scott up or not if I should have Scott stay home from work that day. Finally, I had to get up and go to the bathroom. I had two bowel movements in a close time frame. That was a pretty sure sign that this was it. I did time the waves for a little bit, three to five minutes apart and lasting around 50 seconds each. At that point, I prayed the Lord would be with me and the baby during the birth and that he would cover our home and the midwives with protection. I didn't know until after the birth that the Lord brought our midwife safely to our house in whiteout driving conditions, snow so heavy that you can't see the road. Baby is coming. After coming back from my second bathroom trip, I shook Scott awake, saying simply, pretty sure the baby is coming. He asked me if he should get up and fill the tub. I still felt a bit doubtful, but told him yes. At this point, I couldn't lie down through the rushes anymore, and found standing and leaning over the bed or the counter to be the best position. I did lie down in between waves, and at some point Scott came in and asked if I was going to call our midwife. I was still not sure I believed things were happening, but a few minutes later Scott went ahead and called her anyways. Shortly after that, I went to the bathroom to pee and had a huge bloody show. I finally totally accepted that yes, baby was coming. Scott was having problems getting the hose to the tub with hot water, so he finally gave up and started using a bucket. I really wanted to get into the tub, but hesitated about slowing things down. After a couple of minutes of internal debate, I decided to get in anyways. Our three oldest children, Cassidy, Asher, and Brennan, were up and sitting on the couch. Scott put them to work helping with water boiling on the stove and watching the bucket fill with hot water in our bathtub. I liked the tub we had this time because it has a little inflatable stool. I'd sit on the stool between rushes. I was able to spread my legs, and it still supported me sitting very upright. I felt like it kept me open and baby in a good position. The tub did not have a built-in heater, though, and that was a big downside. It meant we couldn't fill it a couple of days before my due date. Scott and the kids kept getting as much hot water into it as they could. I would make the slightest movement with my hand, and Scott would run over between his water carting trips. When I felt a rush starting, I moved off the stool to a kneeling position. At first, I put my arms around Scott's neck, and he put his arms around behind my back, under my arms. That worked well, but as things progressed, I found I wanted to have a wider, deeper stance on my knees, spreading them more, which meant I needed my head down on the side of the tub. 
At one point, Scott tried to put his arms under mine, and I simply said, no. He put his hands around my, around my back, over my arms, and I said, yes. Each rush was work, even with using my light switch, and I felt incredibly thirsty during the rush itself. I'd ask for water after most of them. During the rush, I'd moan and give Scott kisses on his shoulder. This giving of energy also helped during Honor's birth. I focused on a pink kit technique between rushes, softening my entire pelvis around the pelvic clock. I felt myself get deeply into that place of birthing, where time seems to suspend, and you're definitely somewhere else, on some other plane of existence, between rushes. My eyes were closed, and I wasn't paying attention to much outside of myself. My midwives, Kathy and Katie, arrived within about ten minutes of each other, and I remember them greeting me. This was around 6.10 a.m. Kathy asked me a few questions about how things started, when I'd last eaten, etc., and I answered those. She also listened to baby's heartbeat and told me it sounded good. After that, I didn't pay any attention to what anybody else was doing, just me and Scott and the baby. I do remember looking at the clock around 6.30 a.m. and thinking I might ask Scott to take it off the wall. I also debated asking him to bring me my phone so I could text my due date buddy and let her know things were happening, but I knew it was 4.30 her time and decided to wait until later. I thought that things were still very early at this point. Working with birth. I felt like the space between rushes was really long, eternally long. It wasn't bad. I kept my eyes closed and half dozed in that timeless birthing world. But I remember thinking that the midwives must expect it to be a long time before the baby comes due to the long breaks between rushes. Scott tells me that in reality the space was very short, a minute or so at most but it felt timeless to me. The waves themselves were very powerful, but I'd spent much of pregnancy imagining myself spiraling my hips through them, and I found that hip movement really did help. I could feel the opening at the end of the rushes at this point, and I wanted to go there to get deeper into that opening. I felt a powerful rush that seemed to last a while, and then at the very end had a different feel to it a pushy feel with the opening sensation. I started to wonder right then, and decided that after the next rush, I would feel to see if I could touch the baby's head. I think at this point I looked at Scott, afraid he'd get up to do something, and told him, stay. The next rush started, and I felt that undeniable urge to push down. My water broke near the start of that one, I didn't say anything, as I really wanted to feel the baby come down and be born with just Scott and I right at the tub. Scott says he does wish I'd whispered it to him, so I wish we'd talked about it beforehand now and I had done so. But I felt the waters break, and then I felt the baby's head coming. Birthing Corwin This was the part of the birthing I had done the most preparation for, physically and mentally. I wanted that moment for me and my baby. I had many thoughts in my head at this point, 
but strongly were peace and soften. I thought those words and let my body soften as I felt the baby's head move down, and I felt myself stretch open, more and more open. I thought the baby's head might stop just at crowning. Then I felt the head come through. My hand had moved down, and I caressed his head as it was born, quietly. I wasn't sure if things would stop then. I don't know if the rush kept going or if I kept going, but I realized that the baby wasn't going to stop. I felt one little shoulder come through, then another. This felt like it took an eternity. Again, it wasn't bad. It was just timeless. Then out rushed his body. At this point I said, Scott, help! Then realized he probably didn't know what I needed help with. So I said, baby. And then everyone was fluttering and scurrying around. It was 6.54 a.m. Scott helped me bring the baby up out of the water, and I was in awe. A full head of dark brown hair after five bald babies. This was another timeless moment as the baby just looked up at us and us down at him. He was pink, but not breathing. After a moment, I looked at my midwife, who was now beside the tub, and she told me to rub his feet. When I did so, he took a breath, but he didn't start crying. He just peacefully started to breathe. I moved a bit at this point, first up onto the stool, then down again so the baby's body would be more immersed in the water. The tub never did get filled to the minimum fill line. Then I moved a bit so I was leaning against the side of the tub and felt more comfortable. I never looked between his legs to see his sex, just heard everybody saying he, him, his. A minute after settling back against the tub, I noticed his cord over one foot and moved it between his legs at which point he started peeing. Then I knew he was definitely a he. So much happened in this next little bit. I was still feeling rushes here and there, and they were very crampy, but the placenta wasn't wanting to come. So I leaned back and waited, and everybody watched the baby. I know from reading the labor log that the placenta took around 30 minutes to birth, but it didn't seem like that long to me. I reached down at one point and could feel membranes, and finally, with the next rush, I was able to push, push out the placenta. Scott took Corwin and held him by the fire while the midwives helped me get settled into bed. I felt really good, very strong, and was able to stand upright right away. I was very happy to be snuggled into the warm bed with my baby. We put blankets and a little heating pad around him in my arms to warm him as it was very, very cold outside and our bedroom was cool. He started nursing right after getting into bed and nursed from both sides before finally falling asleep. His entire birth was a wonderful experience for me, as close to perfect as I'd imagined. I feel so blessed and am so grateful to the Lord for the wisdom he gave me to prepare and for the safety he provided throughout Corwin's birth. It was a wonderful way to welcome a new little soul. So that was little Corwin's birth story. And now I'd like to just reflect a little bit on 
some of the things that I thought helped contribute to a great pregnancy and what I thought was a wonderful birth experience. I've had, I've been blessed to have six great births now. And I think that it work during pregnancy goes a long way towards birth. I would say that my last three births and especially this last one were more aware births than I had before. Uh, and I think that work during pregnancy went into that too. So I wanted to share a little bit about that. First, I think that my pregnancy started out well because I was very open to pregnancy. And so when we got the positive pregnancy test, I felt very positive about the pregnancy. And I was also, I was ready to hit the ground running, so to speak, with strategies to make that first trimester good. The first trimester can be very challenging. I'm not one of those lucky women who gets off scot-free during pregnancy with no morning sickness and no fatigue. I always feel pretty queasy and I always feel really, really tired during the first trimester. So as soon as I got the positive pregnancy test this time, I realized that I probably had two, three, maybe four weeks before nausea set in and before fatigue set in. I got a positive pregnancy test pretty early um, when I was about three weeks pregnant. Normally, you the earliest you get a positive pregnancy test is when you're three weeks pregnant. Many women don't get it until they're four to six weeks pregnant. Four weeks is when you would miss your period. And six weeks is two weeks after that, which that might be if you haven't been paying attention to your period and you don't realize that you've missed it. So um, early is three weeks and four to six weeks would be average. And most women are starting to feel queasy, um, a little queasy by that four-week mark. And then by six to eight weeks, if you're going to feel morning sickness, you're probably feeling it pretty strongly. So immediately I, I made sure that our day was well scheduled so that I would be able to get the rest that I needed. I made sure that there was time in there for me to get an afternoon nap, even though at that point I wasn't normally having an afternoon nap. And another thing that I did was make a bunch of meals for our freezer so that on, on the days when I felt really bad and I didn't feel like cooking at all, I could just pull one of those out and let it thaw or even pull it out a few hours early and just let it bake. And then we had good meals that the whole family enjoyed. I made kind of comfort foods, lasagna, chicken nuggets, that sort of thing. That the, the sort of food that I remember lovingly from my childhood and tend to be able to eat even when I feel bad. Um, so that was really helpful. So making sure that I had that rest. I also went out and stocked the fridge and the cabinets full of things that I knew that I liked to eat and that were easy to eat like string cheese, uh, peanut butter, trail mix, lots of good protein rich food that was easy to eat so that I knew that I would have that and be able to eat around the clock. I don't want to spend tons of time on this because I actually gave a lot of these tips in uh, the Birth Baby in Life episode number four. So you can go to birthbabylife.com slash 004 and hear an entire podcast with tons of tips. But that proactive preparation really helped get me through the first trimester. And I would say this is probably the easiest first trimester that I ever had. And I really think that having that food prepared, having those snacks on hand, 
and knowing um, that I needed to use some strategies to help myself, help me get through that first trimester, feeling great, eating plenty, and knowing that I was getting everything that my, my baby needed at that critical point in development. Another thing that helped with a fabulous pregnancy for all nine months, or all ten months, pregnancy actually lasts ten months, but for all ten months was having a good diet. Um, I'm a firm believer that a good diet is pretty much the number one key to prevent most pregnancy complications, prevent prematurity, uh, prevent intrauterine growth retardation, all those complications, even if you know that you're more predisposed to a particular complication, a good pregnancy diet will go an amazingly long way towards helping you make sure that you have a healthy pregnancy. In fact, when I have moms come into my childbirth classes and consult with me, one of the very first things that I have them do is listen to a nutrition module and submit just a report, a log of what they've eaten for the last three days. And this serves a couple purposes. First, it helps me know how mom is eating so I can give some feedback if if there's some things getting more protein, that sort of thing that I could advise her to consider. But also, it, it helps the moms coming in, the women that I'm working with, to look at what they're eating because often we don't realize or we think that we're eating really well and we don't realize that we've gotten so caught up in the busyness of life or this or that or I, I, I'm amazed at myself and also the moms that I work with they're amazed too they say you know well my daughter was on holiday from school this week and I didn't realize that we've just really let our normal routine slide and I've hardly eaten anything or I realize that I always prepare a snack for the older kids, but I don't sit down and eat myself. Or I realize that I was just really busy with meetings at work last week, and I completely forgot about lunch a couple of days. And so that exercise just helps bring awareness to to the mom, and then she can say, okay, I need to make sure that I have this snack, or I need to set a timer to remind me to eat, or when I set out a snack for the kids, I need to have one on my own. But just knowing that you need to have a good diet, and then knowing what to eat, a nice protein-rich diet with plenty of vegetables, some fruit, some carbohydrate, that sort of thing, but lots of protein and good fats are very important too. Um, just knowing about that good diet and then being aware of how you're eating because just like I find, just like the moms that I'm working with find, you are often think you're eating well, but life gets in the way. So make sure you have snacks packed. Daddy, if you're listening to this, make sure that, that you're helping out. Offer to do a meal or especially if mom's on bed rest or if she's really busy, often daddies are able to help by preparing a cooler of snacks before they leave for work or arranging to have some help with the meals. So having a good diet, is that's a great first step to having a great pregnancy. I also feel very strongly that exercise is important during pregnancy, and I think that helped a lot for me to have a great pregnancy with Corwin. Um, unlike a lot of the, the mainstream advice out there, I don't really know that pregnancy is valuable because it gets you burning calories or whatever. Um, it's valuable because having 
a low-key but regular exercise program, something that feels right to you. I never prescribe an exercise program for the moms consulting with me. I tell them to listen to their body because that's really the way to go. Mom is to listen to your body. If you feel great taking a hike every day, then that's wonderful. If you feel great taking a leisurely stroll to the mailbox every day, that's wonderful too. So you do what feels right to you. But but that exercise is beneficial because it keeps you moving, it keeps your blood flowing. That's very, very beneficial to you and baby during pregnancy. And I also think it's very important for your emotional well-being. In fact, I would go so far as to say is that's as important, if not more important, than any physical benefits that you get. Just getting out there, taking a walk, enjoying being outside in nature or at the park, around the neighborhood, wherever you can walk, or just enjoying feeling your body move with a prenatal yoga routine or with a prenatal exercise DVD, or one of my favorite exercises is belly dance. Just feeling the, the movement of your body and, and feeling the connection with your baby that so many great prenatal exercise instructors build into their routines. That's very beneficial emotionally. And that made a big difference for me with Corwin. It also made a huge difference during my pregnancy with Honor. I had a really hard pregnancy with Honor. And one of the things that helped me get over a lot of the challenges that I had during that pregnancy was the regular movement. So I definitely recommend that. And again, like I said, like I talk, talk to my clients about, don't, don't feel like you have to follow any set routine or advice. You don't have to do a huge aerobic routine. You don't have to do a woo-woo spiritual kind of um, yoga routine if you don't want to. So just do, do what feels right to you because your body will tell you what's right. And it may be different at different points in pregnancy. In your second trimester, you may feel really energetic. In your first, you may not. Or you may want to continue your regular exercise routine. Uh, and in your third trimester, you're probably going to slow down some, especially as you get close to your baby's due date. So go with what feels right to you. But exercise is very beneficial. Picking a good care provider is a very important part of having a good pregnancy and birth. And maybe I should go into this in a full podcast episode on it uh, about care provider and birthplace options. But because it's really too much to cover in this particular episode. But your care provider, the the man or the woman that you choose to be your obstetrician or your midwife, is very important. So I know that so many of you uh, are limited by insurance. You're limited by your geographic region, you know, where you are and what's available. But I encourage you to look around, see what's available, And pick a care provider who has a philosophy on birth similar to yours or who is open to yours, to what you want. If you want a natural birth experience, it's good to find a care provider who who places value on that too. And also choosing a birthplace, home birth, birth center, or hospital that is supportive of your choices. Going along with that, I feel like a birth plan is important. I've actually changed my views on this because I used to think that a birth plan was not really very important. The reason why is because so many birth plans are so very scripted. You find a template online for a birth plan and many of the big websites even have a birth plan generator where you tick a few boxes and it spits out this birth plan template for you. 
I think there's value in looking at those templates because they give you a jumping off point. But, uh, but once you get past that jumping off point, you need to make the birth plan really yours. So I, I dismissed birth plans initially because of that templated approach. I've since revised the way that I think of birth plans and actually the way that I used a birth plan with Corwin's birth. And I now think that they're very beneficial, but you got to move beyond the template. So take those templated birth plans or better yet, look at several different ones. And I, I even provide several for my clients who are looking to create their birth plans. I provide them with several templates to get ideas from and pick points from those birth plans that resonate with you, that feel right to you and, and and feel right to, to mama and daddy because a birth plan it's a family plan really this is something you both work on together and pick those points that work or, or that you feel are important to you put those into your plan but don't stop there also put in your plan what you're doing so you have the the things that you would like to see your preferences in birth the things you would like for you during your birthing time and then you have a section that shows how you're prepared so you know we've taken childbirth classes and we'll be using these techniques during our birth um, we're going to be happy to be having our baby that sort of thing and keep your birth plan short a page or so or I, I would recommend not going longer than one printed page because you want it to be succinct but the reason why this birth plan is so powerful is because it gives you a way to open dialogue with your care provider so you can say to your care provider these are our preferences and you will probably want to put on there something like in the event of an emergency situation with my baby and I or, or with our baby or with mom we're willing to to discuss however briefly we may need to discuss but we're willing to discuss any and all health care opinions but in the event that it goes normally which is what everybody is expecting. These are our preferences, and then you list the preferences, maybe no IV, um, intermittent fetal monitoring, that sort of thing. I'm not going to go into all the options. But, but then you go over those things with your care provider, and you can ask your care provider, what are your thoughts on this, and how does this sound to you, and of course present the section on what you're expecting to do during the birth. I found that... Um, what I really wanted during Corwin's birth, and you probably heard this as I read the birth story, was I really wanted to push him out and bring him up into my arms myself with just me and Scott right there. I didn't want flashlights or, or you know, I didn't really want the midwives busy down there waiting to catch him. I wanted that to be something for me and for Scott and for the baby. And so I put that in my birth plan that I that as long as everything was okay, as long as there were no complications or anything and the baby was coming smoothly, that I really wanted it to be just Scott and I with the midwives observing from, you know, not ages away, but from a few feet away, not right there. Even though I run a website on natural birth and I do this podcast and everything, sometimes talking to a care provider, is it's intimidating even for me. And so figuring out how I wanted to express that to my midwife and communicate that with her, uh, having my birth plan really helped me with that because I was able to say, 
you know, this is the point in my birth plan and this is what I wanted. And she was able to say, this is what I hear, Kristen, and am I understanding you correctly? She asked me a few questions to clarify to make sure that she understood. And that was really... I felt that the birth plan was really empowering because it allowed that dialogue to come that normally I would have felt really nervous about talking about, but the birth plan gave me something concrete to look at for her to read over, for her to ask more questions on, and it really just it worked out so very well. Another thing that helped have a great pregnancy and a good birth was paying close attention to my posture making sure that I was sitting in a way that kept my baby positioned well. As I shared uh, in another episode, what was it? I think it was episode six on birth balls. Uh, I used sat on a birth ball a lot. In fact, I'm still recording this episode here on a birth ball so that I can bounce Corwin, who's squeaking here. You can probably hear him, but um, <laughs> squeaking in his sleep. But I sat on a birth ball a lot. Um, even when I wasn't on the birth ball, I paid careful attention to my posture. And I think that helped for many reasons. First, it prevented a lot of back pain for me. It helped ease hip pain. On baby number six, I get a pretty significant amount of hip pain during pregnancy. Sitting on the birth ball and paying attention to posture definitely helped. And it also helped make sure that he was positioned very well. My babies have tended to be posterior. Corwin wasn't really posterior at all in late pregnancy. He was anterior the entire time. And by the time, uh, let's see, my last prenatal appointment was at 38 weeks. And he was in the LOA position, which is left occipit anterior. And that's probably an ideal. Left occipit anterior or occipit anterior are the ideal positions for your baby to be in. And I'm pretty confident that he stayed in that position right up until his birthday, which was his due date. And and that, that I think, is because of my careful attention to posture. And that meant that he was positioned well, so birth was the birth was able to go very smoothly, very safely. He didn't have to turn from posterior. We didn't have to do anything to try and get him to turn during labor. I'm not saying that you can't because you can do a lot. My due date buddy had a po- she started her labor. Her baby was born a couple weeks before mine, and she started her labor with her baby posterior. And her husband was able to to use a technique to help get the baby to turn during labor. And she'd been laboring for quite a while at that point. And as soon as he turned, her baby was born a couple hours later. He came right on down and out. So you can turn baby during labor, and you can have a great smooth birth, uh, even if you need to help baby turn. But it's good to go into labor with your baby in a good position and paying attention to your posture can really make a big difference. And I feel like that helped a lot with Corwin's birth. And he's being very squeaky here, kind of snoring. You can probably hear him. Another thing that really helped was practice. I think this one is a clincher. And this is one that I talk to the moms that I consult with about so much. Because I feel like we, we sort of have a resistance to it for many reasons. One, it takes time. 
too, we want to be able to inherently trust birth and trust our bodies. And maybe we feel like we're betraying that trust if we practice skills for birthing. I don't think that's the case. I think when you practice skills for birthing, you're able to really just get into giving birth when you're giving birth because those skills have become second nature. That's the benefit of practice. Uh, sports, sports people practice their you know their swing their catch their batting all of that stuff sportsmen and women practice over and over again so that when they get to the competition all of that comes easily to them and they're able to just naturally and fluidly do it and practicing for birthing uh, I think that's a good analogy because it, it is somewhat of an athletic event and so athletes practice and and we practice too, or we should practice. So I practice with breathing. Uh, really, breathing and relaxation are great things to practice. And that's on a daily basis. And breathing means not necessarily one strict style of breathing, though learning relaxation, breathing a cleansing breath, that type of breathing is very beneficial. But also becoming aware of your breathing and having a time every day when you relax deeply, use relaxation breathing, feel your muscles relax and release, that's very beneficial. Pelvic massage, either perennial massage or my preferred recommendation is the internal work, which is from the Pink Kit method. The Pink Kit is a collection of childbirth skills that I recommend for pretty much every birthing woman because they're so... Um, they're unique and they're very practical to help you during pregnancy and to help you during birth. But anyways, they, the internal work from the pink kit, so perennial massage or the internal work, that's pelvic massage. That helps you because it conditions you to relax what's important. You're going to be pushing the baby out through your pelvic muscles. And learning how to relax those muscles deeply is very beneficial. I feel like working particularly hard to make sure that I understood those muscles and what tension and relaxation in those muscles felt like was very helpful to me while Corwin's head was being born. I mentioned in the birth story that I had the words peace and soften in my mind and I had practiced all throughout pregnancy those two words meaning to relax and soften in that pelvic area where the baby comes through. And so during Corwin's birth, when his head was coming through there, I was actually able to really make sure that those muscles were soft and, and loose almost. There wasn't tension in them. And his head was able to be born easily, and I had no tearing, no nothing like that, no trauma whatsoever to the perineum. And I told my midwife when she came back the day after the birth that I didn't feel like I just had a baby. And I think that that practice really helped. Also, practicing with your coach or your partner, your husband, is very important. Scott and I knew, he knew how I wanted to breathe and how I needed to breathe to stay in control during Corwin's birth. And we had practiced that type of breathing a lot. Scott is a huge class clown. So a lot of those quote-unquote practice sessions would end up with him making me laugh because he was joking around and at the same time feeling frustrated because I felt like he wasn't taking it seriously. But in the end, he's been right there for me exactly how I needed him to be. So even though he's a class clown, he learned a lot in his classes. But that practicing with your coach is very important. And also touch. I think touch is harder to, pra to practice because what feels good to you while you're pregnant 
so far as touch goes may not feel good to you uh, while you're giving birth. So some women you might like light touch or massage rubbing on your back when you're pregnant and your partner's rubbing your back, but during birth that might drive you crazy. Um, I, I don't particularly really like to have anybody rubbing all over my belly during pregnancy. I was kind of surprised though because Scott rubbed my belly a couple times during labor with Corwin and it felt really good and right. Uh, but, but there is benefit in practicing different kinds of touch and understanding, you know, deep massage as opposed to light touch. Going over that sort of thing with your partner because uh, it helps you to communicate during labor. And if you say too light, too soft, or, uh, or too hard, when you're birthing your baby, your partner understands and can change their touch. And I mentioned in Corwin's birth story how Scott had been supporting me in one position, and then as I got farther into labor, I didn't like that anymore. So I just told him no, and luckily he was able to understand that and, and change it instantly. I mean, he adjusted instantly to something that was helpful, and I was also, I, w I, I made sure to say yes, so that he understood at that point that that I liked that and as you may have noticed my phrases during birthing get very abrupt no yes stay help baby I'm not very wordy but practicing with your partner makes it so that even if you're not really very wordy and verbose which I am being right now um, he is able to help you he or she husband mom sister whoever's helping you there Another thing that really helped, and I actually think this goes right along with practice, is visualization. Because I feel like visualizing the birth that you want is essentially practicing for that birth every day. I think there's benefit to picturing your ideal birth, how you'll handle birthing every day. Uh, drifting off when you're drifting off to sleep, when you're taking an afternoon nap, during your lunch break every day, whenever you can find to fit it in. Because that, that is programming your mind for what to expect. And I've been surprised at just how close each of my births has come to what I visualized for that birth. So that's really a form of practice. And we can go back to the athlete analogy that I gave you. You know, when a sports team is preparing or an athlete's preparing for a meet or a match or a game, They'll often discuss what it's going to be like, or a solo athlete will imagine very intensely what that meet is going to be like, or what that match is going to be like, and they often find that that prepares them for the actual meet, and when they're in the moment, they just flow naturally because they've pictured it so many times in their head, and visualization of birth is like that. You can also visualize situations that you're nervous about. For instance, I was a little nervous about having a baby in the car because I take my kids to language lessons that are about 45 minutes away from home once a week. And I did that up uh, to about 37 weeks. And so there was some nervousness in the back of my mind about that. So I pictured, you know, what, what, what would I do if I felt like things were starting when I was driving the van? And um, I don't think you should dwell on those, but if you're nervous about it, you can imagine your ideal handling of that scenario, so to speak. 
and, and, and just picture that once or twice and then be at peace with it. That that's how you'll handle it. But spend most of your time focusing on your ideal birth. And Corwin's birth was very close to what I pictured, the actual birthing. I had pictured myself fixing a lasagna when I was early in labor, but as I was early in labor at 2.30 in the morning, that lasagna never did get fixed. But otherwise, it went very much like I'd pictured. And then the final thing that is so important is is to just trust in birth. I put this last because when you've done all the other things that I just talked about, you find yourself free to trust that birth is safe, that it'll go smoothly for you, to trust your body, to trust your baby. Because once you've done all this work during pregnancy and this preparation, when your birthing starts, there's nothing else to do but trust in birth. So you're just able to relax and to get into it and give birth and your partner's there in case you feel like uh, you're losing it, so to speak, or it's very intense and overwhelming. That's okay. They're there to help you get back on track. And you're really able to just settle into it, work with it, and trust it. So those were those were the things that I really wanted to cover today because I felt like Corwin's birth was wonderful, but I don't feel like it was wonderful because of good luck. I do feel like uh, I give thanks to the Lord for his protection and his hand in it, but I don't think that's luck. And and I don't think that that all of the work that I did leading up to pregnancy was or leading up to his birth during pregnancy that wasn't a matter of luck that was very intentional and so I wanted to share that with you because any mom and any dad any family can prepare for a baby's birth um, with that awareness and that intent and that lets you just let go and trust birth once you finally get there and it also gives you a whole toolbox of resources to use during that birthing time So I hope that you have enjoyed this episode of uh, the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast. And we're episode number eight now. I can't believe that. Uh, Remember that if you have any feedback on this, if you loved it, if you'd like to give me suggestions, even if you didn't like it at all, I would love to have your feedback. So head on over to iTunes and give me some feedback. Uh, If you have an idea for what you'd like to hear on an upcoming podcast, you can email me, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com. I would love to hear from you, and thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.